0: Football, energy drinks, beer, more football. On, Welcome to Bink at Night.
1: Welcome back, Jay Binkley, Julio Sanchez. Of course, you're not going to miss a second of Royals baseball on 16 Sports Radio. Never. Don't no? think about it. No? You're just not going to. It's radio, we're doing our job, you know.
2: The audacity of anyone that doesn't.
1: We get texts about Valley Sports all the time, and ain't our deal, man.
2: It's never positive either.
1: It's like calling Wednesday Wendy's about a Big Mac order you had. They don't care. It's not their problem.
2: I, li- I like what you did there. I like what you did. It's not. Try calling
1: call Wendy's and say your Big Mac sucked.
2: I'm going to need a refund on this Big Mac. They won't care. No? It's
1: a shame. I'll tell you to call uh, McDonald's. Makes sense. That's the way it is. But uh, Brett Veach, general manager of the Kansas City Chiefs, was on with Fesco in the morning. Played earlier his thoughts on why he ended up trading up to get uh, Trent McDuffie. But also the thought of, you know, why do you go so heavy on defense this year?
3: I think it was a combination of both. I think that, you know, we knew we needed more depth on various levels on the defense. Um, You know, we also... The off season, you know, we were able to add Justin Reed, but uh, offensively, you know, we picked up Juju and we picked up MVS and we picked up Rojo. So, you know, we did some things we're able to retain Wiley. So we did some things to put us in position to, to go either way. Um, uh, I think going into the draft, just from positioning ourselves, um, you know, everyone knows how we feel about Snead we think he's, he's excellent at what he does. And, you know, in addition to that Fenton is, is a really good player that that we have a lot of confidence confidence in. Fenton um, had a little shoulder deal here, so you know he might miss some time here early on in, in OTAs and training camps. So, I mean, that was a scenario where again we're going to adhere to the board and take best player. But I'd be lying to say if you know we didn't look at that and say, well, you know, with having Sneed losing Shavarius Ward and Fenton may needing some time, I mean, we got to get a corner um, and we got to be smart about it though because we have a lot of picks. We also want to add depth on the defensive line. We need depth at linebacker and safety and what have you so um that's where those extra picks came in really valuable allowed us to be aggressive um and then you know do what we felt was best for the team but i I think it was a combination of yeah i think we had a we were going to attack some obvious depth level issues at corner and d line um now if there was you know a player like say receiver um or you know, maybe interior defensive line that we had valued that high. I think we would have went that direction. Um, it was one of those deals where um, the talent and the need were kind of married up together and and it just worked out for us where we were getting really good players at, at you know, positions that we came in wanting to address.
1: And they went bigger too. I mean, they went, uh, they went heavy on defensive backs and I could get that. And I think a lot of times, you know, when you heard the chiefs and with edge and wide receiver that, you know, you can't neglect defensive back because that was just as important as anything else with the Kansas City Chiefs, especially all the quarterbacks they're playing this year. You know, they're playing Tyler Murray, they're playing Russell Wilson twice, playing Justin Herbert twice, playing Josh Allen, playing Tom Brady. I mean, the list of quarterbacks for the Chiefs are tough. And Joshua Williams, they drafted six foot three. Jalen Watson at corner is listed at six at six feet two. So they got some bigger corners. And we talked about Trey McDuffie, which isn't a bigger corner, but uh, talked about him earlier and how the Chiefs jumped up and grabbed him. But the other thought was, too, is because they got right in front of the Bills. And the Bills drafted Kyrie Elam right after the Chiefs. So were the Chiefs playing a game with the Bills?
3: Yeah, we. I mean, we, we do spend a lot of time looking at teams and how they're constructed. Um, and we did have you – now it turns out that we kind of triggered the move by Buffalo. So we moved up for 21 and then buffalo ended up moving up two spots to take elam um we do spend a lot of time looking at teams and their needs and, and i think just some of the, the past history um yeah. two would suggest a team and their natural tendencies so i mean buffalo is a great organization obviously they have a great roster um sean mcdermott who we know very well is um is a defensive uh, uh coordinator at heart and defensive back coach and um should even Back in the day when we traded for Mahomes, I think they took uh, Tredavious White. So I think they have an M.O. of corners. You know, White's coming off an injury. They lost their other corner, Pittsburgh. It made sense that that was likely a corner. And then there was the mindset of getting in front of them. But also, if you don't get up in front of them, we only had two guys that we were kind of eyeing there. And if we didn't get up ahead of them and they do go corner, then we can get shut out of corner. So we were certainly motivated uh, to get in front of them. And... Um, we we're just lucky it worked out. I mean, sometimes those situations don't work out. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I think our, our staff and, and the guys working with me did a great job of of starting the calls early. And you know, once um once pick 15, 16 were turned in, I mean we were nonstop calling at 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, and um had no had you know, we decided to to go in a different direction than 19. And then 20, we didn't have a shot at. They weren't in, you know, interested in moving that pick. And then we're able to stay persistent and then finally work something out with New England.
1: Yeah, another guy to get really excited about is Darian Kennard. He's the uh, tackle the Chiefs picked up that reminds a lot of people of Trey Smith. He's got the chip on his shoulder. You know, I like the attitude. The guy that had 30 pancake blocks last year uh, for Kentucky. He only gave up one sack and 350 snaps. Won the Jacobs Trophy as the best blocker in the SEC. So. Comes with high accolades, and here's Brett Veach on Kedarn because he projected in the NFL maybe to play some guard. Obviously, guards are taken up with Joe Tooney and Trey Smith, but he played right tackle at Kentucky. And, well, right tackle is prime for the taking with Lucas Niang coming off the patellar. And then Andrew Wiley that came back to the Chiefs or Darian Kennard. It's going to be a battle at right tackle.
3: Been a lot of questions, right tackle, right guard. I mean, Yeah, you know, we're we're certainly going to plug him in there at right tackle and see how it goes. I I think we're confident he can play guard, but you're talking about a guy that has started a lot of games in the SEC at right tackle. Um, If you're ever going to have a a good training ground for the NFL, it's the SEC. You know, playing against Georgia and Florida and Alabama for the last three or four years, you know, certainly it's always uh, a step up playing at this level. But Needless to say, we think he's talented and he's um, also got a lot of great experience and and had a lot of success at Kentucky. So we're looking forward to throwing him at the mix at right tackle and seeing how that goes.
1: So right tackle there, and I guarantee you, man, it's going to be fun to watch at St. Joe if he's starting at right tackle because that's exactly where Trey Smith started right guard. The first day of training camp, he was right there. What about the trading up for wide receivers? Based on uh, everything that happens, he wasn't ready to do that in this year's draft
3: we actually talked about was we'll probably be inactive the first 15 picks once we get to the late teens early 20s we should start calling to see if we can explore trade up for a
1: corner and he was he said as he said on his pre draft press conference 16 to 18 first round grades on players if someone's still sitting there at 19 20 21 they would consider moving it up for it and that's exactly what they did with trent mcduffie now moving back and still getting sky, he even recognizes that was a bit of a gamble.
3: Yeah, you know, I'm not going to lie and say it wasn't sweating, um, especially when the receivers came off, boom, 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 like whoa. Um, but it, 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 you know, it worked out, and then we were able to get sky there um, with that pick, and then trade back, um, get the fifth round pick, come back with six uh, at 62 with Cook, and then as the draft went on, we were able to add. Um, you know, the Kentucky offensive lineman, which was a, a big gift for us. And, and it worked out and listen, sometimes they don't work out and sometimes they do. And we were, we had one of those weekends where it just seemed where um, the, the names fell off and, and it worked in our benefit. And then we were able to kind of utilize some strategy and then not only get good players, but, you know, get more of them as, as the draft went on.
1: And one thing he was asked too, about Justin Ross, Justin Ross was the undrafted free agent for the Kansas city chiefs. He was a guy that, uh, that a lot of people, you know, liked in the process as a true freshman at Clemson, led the ACC yards per catch at twenty one point seven, had a thousand yards on just forty six catches. But he's had to, he's had some health problems, and that's why he fell out of the rounds. Some teams took him off his board, and as he threw those, I mean, this guy was you know probably going to be a first round pick or a second round pick. Ends up with the Chiefs and his cut and his pro day ran four six four one time and four six eight. But here's Brett Veach on Justin Ross.
3: Yeah, I think, well, with Justin, everyone kind of knows the story. Um, he's uh, he's certainly a really talented individual that had gone through his share of injuries at Clemson. And, uh, you know, one thing, if we kind of go back to last year in, in the Trace Smith setup, I mean, I, I've always said that our docs are um, on the more conservative side. And, you know, we spent a lot of time, and I know – um, our docs at, at KU spent a lot of time uh, talking to the experts that, that dealt with Justin, and you know he's cleared. And um, I think re- really, I, I think when you take away the, the, the next situation, and again, our docs did a great job of um, exhausting all the information. And, and I think for me, it's a little easier on how I operate. Uh, I know how good our, our medical staff is, both Rick and his crew and the docs we have at KU that if they tell me, yes, I, I feel good. If they tell me, no, I I, I don't try to um, become a doctor all of a sudden and, and try to say, well, this team said this. And that, no, if our docs say good, we're good. And, and Rick and his staff said they're good. Um, I think one of the things that popped up was a foot. And 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 so that hindered him late in the season. And then I think, you know, he really didn't have time to test and train. I think so. I think it was a combination of a lot of things why he fell. And, and obviously uh, most of it had to do with, you know, couple seasons ago with the with the neck but I think then you throw in the foot and um not having time to test uh but listen I know his agent very well Tory Dandy it was Sammy Watkins agent and we stayed in touch um as the draft went on and then when the draft ended he was just kind of going through some different options and we just stayed in touch um and then yesterday we just um we connected again and he had a chance to just you know review all the the offers in the landscape of of where everything was and and um he decided to come here so as far as expectations, I mean, it's like a lot of these guys. I mean, whether you're a first-round pick or second-round pick, I mean, it's you got to come in here and learn the playbook, and you have to have the confidence in the coaching staff to execute your assignment. You have to have the confidence in Pat, uh, you know, for him to trust you to execute your assignment. And if he can do that, I mean, I think talent-wise, as long as he stays healthy, he'll have a shot. But it'll just come down to him and, and how, you know, he handles uh, the playbooks and being moved around and, and you know, staying healthy and, and being diligent in regards to – um, looking ahead and, and preventative things that he can do for his body. But I mean, there's a lot of these guys that um, are, are really in the same boat in that when you come in here, it's, it's a combination of talent, uh, being smart, um, staying on top of the training. And that means when you're away from the facility too. So like a lot of these young guys, um, if he does those things, given the talent he has, I mean, he should be able to come here and, and potentially contribute. But um, I think that's the beauty of a 90-man roster. Um, where guys get to come in and, and we always felt like we'll, we'll keep the best players and it doesn't matter where you're drafted or where you are selected. I mean, if, if you guys are – if that individual is going to come in, in here and, and earn a spot in the team, um, you know, we'll be good with that. But I just think it'll be um, a very interesting competition um, for only five or six spots, and I think we have a lot of talent there.
1: It's going to be fun to watch the receivers, see how things shake up again. You know, with Tyreek Hill, he's more talented than anybody's here, but this wide receiver room is much deeper than it was. Went to Marcus Robinson and Byron Pringle. You got Juju Smith-Schuster and MVS and Sky Moore and, you know, Josh Gordon and now Justin Ross. You got a deeper, deeper group. I thought it was interesting, too, because Fesco asked Brett Veach about comps for his first three picks and who he would comp them to in the National Football League. Here's uh, Trey McDuffie's comp from Brett Veach
3: from a personality standpoint, I, you know, I think that, you know, um, you know, we had Kendall Fuller and, um, you know, from a knowledge standpoint of the game, I think Trent McDuffie, and this is nothing against Kendall Fuller because he's one of my favorite people of all time. I think Trent McDuffie is a better athlete. I think he runs a little faster and he can jump a little higher. But I think when you talk about the person and his intelligence, Kendall Fuller came from a family of um, football players. When you talk to him, he knew everything about football. He can tell you all different tendencies and tips. And when you talk to Trent McDuffie, he's wired just like that, extremely uh, cerebral. Uh, so, again, I'm not – I love Kendall, so I don't want him to think I'm, I'm ripping on him. But I think he's probably like a, you know, a little bit more uh, athletic version of Kendall Fuller, but both players are were great.
1: So that's his comp on uh, on Trent McDuffie. Here's his comp on uh, George Karloftis.
3: George Karloftis. Um, you know, you'd have to go back. He's, he's kind of a, a throwback guy, but, you know, I – I hate throwing comps there because, you know, what happens then is, you know, it it sticks with you forever. And they're like, wow, they thought he was going to be this. And I think he's in his own category because he's a guy that was a water polo player over in Athens. Okay. But he's one of those guys that he's young. He's one of the youngest guys in the draft. I think he just turned 21. Uh, Start playing football uh, as a freshman uh, or sophomore in high school. And um, funny story, when we were doing George, we were talking to his coach, uh, Jeff Brom at Purdue. And, And he said that when they're in the recruiting process that um, a few weeks later, Notre Dame offered. And I know growing up where I did that, that's kind of like, now listen, we're older. So times have changed, but when you get that Notre Dame offer or you get like an Alabama offer, it's like life-changing. And uh, Jeff was saying that he just thought Notre Dame was like Purdue or Indiana. It was just another offer and I'll stay home and go to Purdue. But I don't know how to really compare George. Let me get back to you on that one. He's just he's different because um, he's uh, he can do a little everything and he plays with a relentless motor and um, I hope about a few years people are comping uh, a prospect to be to George Karloftis. I do think he's a little bit unique and we're we're excited to work with this challenge. But that's a long winded non answer, so I apologize.
1: See, I actually do have a comparison for George Karloftis. And Brett Beach wasn't putting one out there. I see Max Crosby, just that relentless motor. You're going to knock him down. He's going to come back. Like, to me, that's who he is. I asked Jeff Braum. I had Jeff Braum, his head coach at Purdue, on the draft special this weekend. And I asked him about Max Crosby. And I said, hey, when I look at him, that's who I see. This was uh, his coach, Jeff Braum's answer.
4: And and you're exactly right. And I think, uh, you know, we actually played against Max in college here. And he was at a smaller school. And actually – you know, he did a great job when we played against him. Uh, he definitely, you could tell he was the best player on their defense. Uh, and I think, you know, George going against the competition we had each and every week, uh, which was a very tough schedule, was our best player. So he just got a lot of attention. He still was effective. Uh, you know, uh, the interesting thing, I mean, we he had one year, second year, where he had a high ankle sprain, which is you. Uh, you guys who cover football, sometimes yeah. it takes three four or five weeks. And he came back the next week, and while he shouldn't have played, he taped it up. He went out there. He wasn't near as effective, but he didn't care. That's just kind of how he is. And I know if Coach Reed or uh, Coach Spagg or even Coach Cullen say, I need you to do this, you need to suck it up and do this, you're, you're not going to find anyone that's going to blink uh, uh, easier than, than, he, than he won't, and he'll go out there and, and figure out a way to hopefully get it done.
1: See, I like the attitude, man. I like that attitude a lot. And last but not least, uh, Brett Veach's comp on Sky Moore.
3: Yeah. I think he has some, you know, Stefan digs in him, you know, I, again, I think he, he's a guy that um, when asked to play on the outside, he can do it, but I think he's a great route runner. Um, I think he's a savvy route runner. I think he um, he's great after the catch. I think he's competitive. I think he's smart. Um, line up all over the field. And, you know, Stefan wasn't the biggest guy, but you can do a lot with him. Um, and he creates some, some matchup problems. So Again, I hate putting uh these guys will have enough expectations on them um, to begin with. So uh, I hate I'm very cautious throwing names out there, but
1: so there you go. Stephon digs for him. And last but not least, Brett Veach commented on Melvin Ingram. He's got the tag on him now, he, uh, the uh free agent tag. This is uh what they expect from Melvin Ingram.
3: Well we certainly um we're hopeful that we have an opportunity to do something there and and um the the Ingram thing has kind of gone on the way we anticipated where uh, he's he's obviously uh, played a lot of football and he's accomplished a lot in his career Um, usually when these guys um, get to this stage they like to take a step back and spend time with their family and just kind of look at the landscape of the NFL and and what they have in regards to you know money on the table and opportunities and and teams and um, you know I think now we're in a position where um, no matter what happens with Melvin uh, we'll be in conversation and we'll have dialogue and I think that was what was important to us, just to make sure we were always in touch. And um those guys can go in many different directions. They they may not want to sign until training camp ends. They may want to sign before. Um, they may not want to play at all. Um, we, you know, we certainly really like Melvin. We had a great experience with him. We think he feels the same way. And um I think the motivation behind uh the UFA tender was just to make sure that uh we were in constant communication. If there's something we can do and get him here. It makes sense for him. It makes sense for us. We'll we'll certainly be excited about that.
1: I hope Melvin's back. I just hope Melvin's back. He makes that uh, edge rushing so much better. Karloftis comes in in a rotation, but hope that happens. Coming up next, though, Chad Reuter, NFL mock guru, gives his favorite picks per round in the NFL. And guess what? The Chiefs have several. explain next.
0: This is Bink at Night on your home for Royals baseball and the official broadcast partner of the Kansas City Chiefs 610 Sports Radio.
1: FYI, it was official today. The Honey Badger officially a saint. But it doesn't uh, figure into the comp formula because it was after 3 o'clock. Yesterday, So it's a wise move by the Saints. and I don't blame them for doing it. So the Chiefs don't get to use that as a credit.
2: Worked out for them. I'm happy.
1: Chad Reuter, NFL.com. Always liked his uh, mock drafts. Guy was all over the place and uh, doing it during the deal. But he put out his favorite picks and say what you want about people do mock drafts and do they get things right or wrong. But I say c- lots of things. But certainly you can evaluate things. Once it's done. Hey, there's some guys that are pretty on the money. After once you're through the first round, it's like these seventh rounders don't, I mean, they're all over the place. You know, there's guys that are supposed to be taken a lot earlier. Like Ryman, the uh, defensive lineman, goes in the third round. You look at the first round for him.
2: You, you think we're keeping uh, all of these uh, seventh round draft picks this year?
1: No. No? Some are going to be practice squad. Some are going to get cut, right? But, I mean, the mock drafters, here's the thing. The one thing they don't have is they don't have access and privy to the medicals. Plus, they weren't in interviews, so they don't know if a team if of have told the team to screw off. You know what I'm saying? You don't know that. But his top three picks in the first round, one is Jordan Davis, the uh, defensive tackle from Georgia to the Eagles. Number two is Tyler Linderbaum, the center from Iowa to the Baltimore Ravens. And number three, best uh, first-round picks, George Karloftis. And he says, Karloftis will even have a better career than his draft position, portends, because of his strong base. Excellent hand usage and nonstop motor. Again, that nonstop motor, man. Plays hurt, according to his coach. He might not be the most bendy edge player, but power and effort are crucial attributes for rushing the passer in the NFL. I projected him to Kansas City in my first four-round mock because of their dire need at the position. And because of the fact his game reminds me of former chief Jared Allen, it's on George Karlofus. So, again is is over under in Vegas was twenty three. I like that comp, by the way. His favorite second round picks: number one, Joshua Pascal, the uh, defensive end from Kentucky, Detroit Lions. Number two, Sky Moore. So again, the Chiefs have a top three guy in the in the rounds, and one hundred percent, I'm all about Sky Moore. Yep. I mocked him, too, Julio, if you remember right. You're a smart guy. you smart one. guy. It says, last year, the Chiefs got two second-round bargains in Creed Humphrey and Nick Bolton. They hit second-round pay again by landing more after exchanging picks with the Patriots. His quickness and long speed are evident in his strength at the catch point, running after the catch ability um, better than his size. He'll be quite productive catching passes from Patrick Mahomes. So there is two Chiefs in the top three in each round, and that's the only Chiefs that were in the top three picks as far as the later rounds. But you're hitting them in round one or two? Give me that all day. Oh, excuse me, he has got one more. I forgot about this. In round five, round five, he's got one Keontae Ingram uh, running back USC to the cards. He's uh, got Jasir Taylor, the defensive back from the Chargers, and he's got... Uh, uh very in low from the from um Kentucky. And he's also got where's he got? He's got canard here somewhere. Okay. All right. So round five. He's got uh and then he's got uh actually here was five. I give you the wrong round. Sam Howe, the quarterback from the commanders. He lost me. He's got you lost what's me. What's that? I said you lost me. All right, this is round five. I ran you to round six. All right, this is round five. He's got Sam Howell, the quarterback for the Commanders, one. Tariq Woolen, the defensive back from UTSA to the Seahawks. He's the one that ran four two six, the four two six speed. And then number three, Darian Kennard. That's the lineman for the Chiefs. Again, one sack. He gave up three hundred and fifty pass blocking deals. Has a chip on his shoulder um, because he failed. How dare you forget? And he was voted best blocker in the SEC. Yeah, I like this guy. I think he's starting to So that's three Chiefs. I like his rankings. He listed top three in each round. There's three Chiefs. You can't beat that. They had a good draft. Meaning they they hit in every single round. Coming up next, they had a conversation with Thor Nystrom from NBC Edge. In the first hour, we talked all about the Chiefs draft and the draft in general. I'll bring you Thor Nystrom next.
0: This is Bink at Night on your home for Royals baseball and the official broadcast partner of the Kansas City Chiefs, 610 Sports Radio.
1: Welcome back, J.B. Akele Julio Sanchez. Earlier in our number one, I had a chance to talk to uh, my favorite draft guy who joined me uh, all throughout on the uh, Chiefs draft specials. Thor Nystrom from NBC Edge, uh, rated one of the top college football writers this season in accuracy talked about the chiefs draft who we gave him an a and uh certainly talked about pro football focuses uh, value charts on these guys like carloft is 10 mcduffie 11 sky Moore 22 he had him he had them all ranked highly as well here's my conversation with thor
5: good evening how are you guys doing thanks for having me on
1: hey thor man i tell you what you had good content the whole draft uh he, Man, it went fast, man. We were on the air quite a bit uh, during that weekend, almost the whole weekend. And I'm going to tell you this. It was fun, surprising, had it everything. We had guys falling. We had quarterbacks not going till late. We had about everything in this draft we needed
5: thousand percent yeah like when i put out my last mock draft like i, I put it like a little note with it like please don't you know assume that i have any you know like beyond vested interest in, in these picks like i can't put anything beyond that they're going to happen but i can't guarantee you guys this this is going to be the wildest first round that we've seen in years and years and years that's what it was we, we saw the acti- unprecedented activity leading up to the draft there's an unprecedented amount of teams holding multiple first round picks unprecedented amount of teams holding no first picks then we saw an unprecedented amount of movement in the first round the most trades that we had seen going back the entire time since we they'd broken the, the draft up till three you know three days going back to 2010 so yeah I mean it, it was wild you also had the, the really quick picks quick quicker than than it had been in years past like teams have clearly gotten a memo of like we got to pick quicker so you saw all these different trades and then the the picks are going really quick like my head was spinning for sure
1: I never saw a pick quicker than the Detroit Lions and Aiden Hutchison. That card must have been turned in within three seconds.
5: I think they were ready to go with that one. You know, like a couple of days before that, we we had a pretty good idea. It was going to be Trayvon Walker. I have a conviction that, that Jacksonville made a mistake there. I, I think probably Detroit has a conviction that, that, that go, you know, leaning that way as well. I, I think they had written that card out in advance, and I think they were ready to sprint their 4-3 after Roger Goodell to give it to him.
1: Thor, there were some uh, guys that fell in this draft in the hands. Of... We'll talk about the Chiefs here in just a second, but – When you think about Jermaine Johnson and, you know, whether you want to think he fell or not, I think maybe we over-evaluated him, uh, to be quite honest. Because one thing we don't have when you're doing these mock drafts, we don't have medicals. We don't have the interviews with said players. There's a lot of things we don't have. Uh, Ryman, the lineman that falls in the third round, looked like he was going to be a first-round pick. And then, of course, the fall of the quarterbacks. What do you think was the biggest fall in this draft?
5: Well... I mean, if we're going to go with the Chiefs, this guy may be the biggest faller in terms of the biggest value, in my opinion, Darian Kennard. Uh, you know, okay. he reminded me a lot of, of, of Creed Humphrey at the end of the second round, and then Trey Smith also falling way back to where, wherever they finally picked him. Enormous values, guys that, that fell for reasons that I think went a little bit beyond reality. You know, I, I still can't explain why Creed Humphrey fell to the end of the second round. I know I Trey Smith fell a little bit. It was because of the the NFL's risk aversion as far as like his his medicals went. Darian Connard, I'm not really sure why he falls down that far. He he was sort of uh you know, I suppose some teams on, on their board could have listed him as a tweener between tackle and, and offensive guard, but the, the risk had been far from mitigated from me by the time he finally went. Uh, this is a kid who absolutely dominated in the SEC the last couple of years. One of the best blocking guys that we, you know, I mean, in, in terms of both run blocking and pass blocking, this time on the perimeter at, at Kentucky l- last season. But he put up some of the best blocking numbers you could see on tape. Everything backs it up. The fact that the Chiefs can get him in the fifth round, especially potentially at a position in need because while I do think he has he slotted for inside at the next level in terms of his best fit, I do also think that he can push Lucas Niang at right tackle in, in year one. I know that was something the Chiefs were potentially looking for. I think he was a perfect guy to bring in that could potentially do that at an enormous sticker price discount.
1: Well, yeah, and he got the Jacobs Award as the best blocker in the SEC, an award they've been giving away since 1935, one sack and 350 Uh, dropbacks by Kentucky, 30 pancakes as well. But even when you look at Trent McDuffie, and I know he was a guy the Chiefs really didn't have on their radar. And what's funny is a lot of times these GMs give smoke screens, you know, when they do the uh, pre-draft press conference. Like Brett Veach in Kansas City really didn't do that. I mean, last year he was talking about that second and third round being the hot zone. It's where he got Creed Humphrey. He got Nick Bolton because the Ravens sent back, Pick 58 with Orlando Brown and they got Nick Bolton because of that in the second round. But this year, he said, if we're sitting there and we've rated 16 to 18 guys as first round picks, he said if we get to 1920 or 21, and one of those guys is still on there, we'll consider trading up. Well, he did at 21 with Troy McDuffie, whose Vegas over-under was 16 and a half. Then George Karloftis in the first round, his over-under in Vegas was 23. I had seen him mocked anywhere from twelve to forty, but they get Trim McDuffie and George Karloftis in the first round. Those both seem like tremendous values.
5: I love the way that you set that up. Yeah, I mean, both those guys they had these specific questions as far as like being you know top fifteen or top. 20 guys or whatever on their evaluations with McDuffie, it all had to do with the measuring stick. That's it. Like, you know, like I'm coming to you guys live from Minneapolis right now. There was a lot of people that had mocked Derek Stingley at number 12. And to be honest with you, I preferred Trent McDuffie over Derek Stingley as an really? NFL player. Because the only thing that you can point to where where, where Derek Stingley is a better player or prospect than, than Trent McDuffie, it's on a measuring tape. Everything else that you know that that is quantifiable, you give it to Trent McDuffie. He shut down the best receivers the Pac the Pac twelve had to offer these last three years, as a matter of course, as their number one uh, outside cornerback. I love that kid. It was just the only question with him, it had to do with arm length. He fell beneath the threshold in a similar way that uh, that Linderbaum did. Tyler Linderbaum did. And he fell a little bit lower because of that as well. It was the sub-30-inch you know, arm length for him. Outside of that, as far as what a cornerback can bring, he has all the requisite you know, athleticism. He has all the requisite, uh, uh, you know, he he's, he put up the work, you know, over the last three years shutting down the Pac-12 uh, receivers. And then as far as Carl Loftus, He's a better athlete than, than people perceive. I wish that he had sort of led with that foot when he was in the pre draft process. Um, you know, he, he did not run in Indianapolis, didn't do that stuff at the combine, but he was a guy that was a multi time Bruce Feldman freak listener. He's a better athlete than I think people think. He had been sort of put in the AJ Epinesa sort of bucket as a guy that could fall into the second round, but he was more athletic than Epinesa. He's more versatile than Epinesa, better athlete than Epinesa. So I, like, I, I love the value they got him in. I, I I had Karloftis 23 on my board. I had Trent McDuffie 10 on my board. So they got steals both there, Mm -hmm. and then the Chiefs just kept getting steal pick after pick after that.
1: Well, you you had a a comp for uh, George Karloftis being Ryan Kerrigan, which if the Chiefs drafted Ryan Kerrigan, that would be outstanding. I've always comped kind of Max Crosby with him just because of that that motor. And I had his uh, coach, Tim Lester, on, and I said that. I said, hey, would you comp him? To a guy like Max Crosby, and they had seen Max Crosby at Eastern Michigan uh, play Purdue, and the GM for the Chiefs was on the, our station today, and he wouldn't really give a Karloftis comparison, uh, but he did with Sky Moore. Said maybe a little Stefan Diggs in him. Sky Moore at 54. I like Sky Moore. Had he mocked to the Chiefs actually in around one Thor. Um, I, I feel he's got round one value, and I think we might sit here and look at receivers four, five, and six better than one, two, and three at the end of the year.
5: Could absolutely be the case. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, I ended up with him a wide receiver eight, but I had him forty eighth overall on my board. They had him fifty fourth. Mm-hmm. Um, I comped him to Doug Baldwin, a, a smaller guy that I believe could play on the outside at the next level. I'm not for the Chiefs. You know, maybe you, you stick him in slot next year. We'll, we'll end up seeing. You know, obviously they, they signed a guy that is a bigger receiver, but has played more slot in the in, you know during his career, so they could play him there they're going to be able to sort of mix and match. The thing I love about Sky Moore is he played at Western Michigan, of course the Mac, but he played on the outside predominantly, was not predominantly a slot receivers, predominantly an outside receiver. He, he was drawing the number one cornerback on the, the opposing team every single week. He cooked every single one of them as a matter of course, just cooked every single one of them. It didn't matter. You cannot stop that guy from getting off the line. You can't get your hands on him. He has such a diversified uh, release set. He has, he has such good footwork. He's getting off the line one way or the other, and then he's creating separation. In the slot, no question about it, he's going to be able to do that at the NFL. But I also think there's a chance that he could hang on the outside. If, if you prefer, you know, for instance, putting Juju in the slot or whatever, the Chiefs are going to have some of those options because they picked Sky more. The The value that they got in him, you can't argue with that one way or the other. Right, like I mean, people in mocks had him, you know, some had him late, late first round. He was going early second. A lot of the ones that didn't have him late first round getting at 54. You can't argue with that one way or the other.
1: And Thor also uh, Leo Chanel, you had him as linebacker uh, number four. Of course he played up at Wisconsin. I'm sure you're familiar with his work, but you know, ridiculous numbers that he put up uh, athletic athletically and get leading Wisconsin and sacks the last two, two years as an inside linebacker. I mean, that's a commodity. Then the 34 pinch press reps, uh, he's an interesting guy to me because right now at this point, run stuffer does need to work on the coverage aspect of things. But I think that ability to blitz from the middle is just a key asset for a lot of teams. You
5: hit on it. Yeah, I mean, you hit on both the utility and also the the potential weakness or the thing you either have to palm off the field for the thing that you have to guard against. He's a pitfall. He's a pit bull. You you take him off the leash, you let him attack downhill, he is going to to be very, very good for you. Both against the run, absolutely fabulous at that. Coming north-south, the explosion coming downhill. Very, very muscled-up kid. And then also in the pass rush, both those different things. You attack him downhill, he is going to find the ball. Period, end of story. The the only limitations with his game, it's once he gets out in space having to trail people, you know, like in in coverage specifically. That's the one thing where you have to decide, are we either going to hide him? Him in, in his own coverage Are we gonna hide him on on you know on, on the lesser guy that's dangerous in man coverage or we're gonna pull him off the field but as far as, as as the early downs or even on passing downs just send that kid every single time you know like he, he's a guy who has a very specifically delineated uh, skill set and you know you des- you decide on that you delineate him that way he is going to provide for you outside of that I the one thing I don't want Leo in is again think about him like a, a muscled up pit. That's exactly what he is coming downhill. The explosion, everything like that, attacking, attacking, attacking. But like chasing smaller dogs downfield, where they're just darting this way and that with this ball to you know with his back to the ball. That's the one thing I you know that that, that I I'm a little bit lower on him with. I, I would guard him from those opportunities. But everything else coming downhill, he's going to provide for you for sure.
1: Thorne last thing for you, of course, uh, why well, didn't see the run on punters like we had this year? I'll be honest with you. I didn't see that run on punters. But the other thing, too, with the quarterbacks all slipping towards the end. And I know next year, you know, it's looking like maybe four, five, even six quarterbacks could be taken in the first round. They've got to get something to get quarterbacks in the NFL. Like right now, this AFC is loaded. They're young quarterbacks still with Mahomes and Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson and Deshaun Watson and Joe Burrow. You have younger quarterbacks. Now, the NFC, they're going away. Like Tom Brady couldn't in the AFC next year, retired. Who knows how long Aaron Rodgers is going to play, but it seems like there's a deficiency of quarterbacks in the NFC, and we always know the baton has passed from generation to generation. But, man, does college football need to get quarterbacks in the NFL?
5: For sure. You know, and a part of that is just the, the, the delineation of the schemes between college and, and the pros and stuff like that. Those things are becoming less homogenized as we go forward. But, I mean, y- y- your point is definitely well taken. Obviously, the Chiefs are fortunate enough that they don't need one for, for a couple of years now, in part because they took advantage of the NFL's reticence towards a specific kind of quarterback when Pat Mahomes was coming out, which is no longer a reticence. I, I think the teams that are on the cutting edge of that, you know, w- at that point it was the air raid. You guys remember like a decade? Ago we were afraid of air eight quarterbacks. Yeah. now we love air eight quarterbacks. You know, like going forward, I think that's going to become more about the mobility, the the, the dual threat guys, the, the guys that can steal seven, eight yards, ten yards on just on their whim they're going to become as valuable as guys that can, can complete commensurate passes in the intermediate area. But but I, I think there's going to continue to be an evolution towards a space and speed aspect of the game. And and you, you, your point is really well taken. It's just that Kansas city was on the very uh, sort of cutting razor edge of that thing.
1: Thor NBC sports edge. Give him a follow on Twitter. He's an incredible football follower for especially college football, pro football, and, uh, does a lot of things. And if you're a Jayhawk, he's a former Jayhawk as well, at Thor KU on Twitter. Thor, it's been a pleasure talking to you these last couple weeks. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Gentlemen, always a pleasure to join you in rock chalk forever. There you go. Thor Nystrom right there. I don't endorse the last thing he said, but uh, I do. Yeah, I know you do. That's, that's why I like him. I knew you. I knew I liked him. Coming up next, Julio, there's a question I have to ask about this town in, in sports fandom. We do that next. This
0: is Bink at Night on your home for Royals baseball and the official broadcast partner of the Kansas City Chiefs 610 Sports Radio.
1: Welcome back to Bink at Night. J Binkley, Julio Sanchez. Well, the Tampa Bay-Toronto game is not a great one. It's 5-1 in the third. Boston making a little closer with Carolina, 4-2. Yeah,
2: but that's been a blowout pretty much the entire game, too.
1: No, it is. It's been physical. Can anybody beat Tampa? They're back-to-back Stanley Cup champions. Let's get some new blood. Let's get the St. Louis Blues they win get, it all again.
2: They're going to get that uh, triple crown? Is that what they call Just it? Just wanted
1: a, won it a couple years ago. It's time for the Blues to win again. Do you have a team in the NHL, Julio? Uh, I do not,
2: no. No, never really been that much into hockey.
1: Who's your NBA team?
2: Uh, I was a Spurs guy. Uh, I'm more of a, I love like a Steph Curry. There's certain players that I really follow. Spurs, unfortunately, right now.
1: Mine is the uh, Atlanta Hawks. Why is that? Um, It's a random team? It is a random team. I get it. When when I was a kid, my dad and I used to go to a lot of the, uh, the. Um, of course, they're gone now because of the, because of the heat, but um. Kansas City Kings, we used to go down a lot of Kansas City Kings game. Yeah, I'm a old dude, but uh, so they left. Kansas City Kings left and went to Sacramento, right? That's fair. It That's sucked. Fair. You know, it sucked. It's Kings fan, you know? But I didn't follow the the Sacramento because I was a little bit pissed. You know, it's, it's like all the uh, A's fans. You know, it's not like people from Kansas City follow the A's.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, it was at the time where you didn't really send out a lot of emails. You wrote letters and stuff back then. So, I sent letters to a bunch of NBA teams and said, all right, why should I root for your team? And I didn't, like, send it to the Lakers or teams like that. It was, like, the Nuggets. It was, like, the Hawks. It was... You know teams like that, and the
2: more nondescript
1: teams. Two teams sent me stuff back: the Nuggets and the Hawks. And the Hawks had sent me like a Nuggets sent back a media guide or something, but the Hawks went, you know, media guide, T-shirt, and something else. Wow! All right, all right, good for them. And I like Dominic Wilkins and all that. And so I was like, yeah, you know what? The
2: Nuggets are more. More local-ish.
1: No, it's just Atlanta it was stepped up, man. More ties I mean, the I'm not Atlanta, like a avid yeah, I see fan why. where I'm going to watch them all the time, but I watch them in the postseason.
2: It's I a lot of fun, why.
1: but that's a story behind that.
2: I like that. That's a good story. Yeah, my question.
1: Yeah, my question to you, Julio, and I know other people have done this too when their team leaves. I'm sure there's people in St. Louis that did, and they had choice to make. Chiefs fans, Colts fans, Bears fans, what are they going to do? Because I guarantee you a lot of people in St. Louis didn't like the Rams whenever they moved to Los Angeles. Nope. Don't think they were exactly celebrating the Super Bowl last year in St. Louis. No. So.
2: No, No, they weren't watching.
1: No, it's not something they were celebrating. But, you know, we were talking this show, our kind of theme we talked about tonight was, you know, why baseball attendance is down. You know, obviously the TV rights and not being able to watch the Royals out of sight, out of mind. Could it be another issue that we haven't really discussed? And that's the Kansas City's back to its roots of being a football town. Mm-hmm. Because it oh. was. Through the 90s, this was 100% football town. Through the 2000s till 2010, football town. Really until 2013, and I'll still give the Chiefs the whole nine at 2013 because that's when Andy Reid took over. 2012 was rough. Very rough for both teams. Reid comes in, starts 9-0 in thirteen. And I think people started to get excited again. But the 90s was the rise of Arrowhead. 80s belonged to the Royals. They were the highest spending team in baseball in 87, I think it was. And they win the title in 85. But the 90s became a football town. And I think a lot of it had to do with, you know, the rise of K-State.
2: Yeah, that's you know, fair.
1: And then certainly at the end of, you know, 2010, you had Missouri played so well with Pinkle, you had KU, you had them both 1 and 2. And football was a big thing in this town, yeah. college football is The high school football has been big too, but it's always been the Chiefs. And then I conceded because I've always had this stance that this is a football town. But in 14 and 15, it was a baseball town. It was. For a short period Because everybody was thinking Royals. and. Yeah. 15's when the Chiefs had that losing streak, right? And no one really noticed because the Royals were still going through. In the playoffs, and the Chiefs started playing good football once the Royals season ended. But still, I think baseball did get people's attention and went right back to the Chiefs. Right now, it is squarely back with the Chiefs. And I think the Royals, with the TV contract being outside and out of mind, doesn't help their case.
2: Well, let's also think about the underlying theme here of when when an organization is winning, people tune in. When you are not, people are not tuning in. That's not to say that if the Chiefs, win, they are, even when they were bad, but like you said, back in 2012, people still watched the Chiefs regardless, right?
1: Oh, yeah, they did. And even even when they were very upset, even when they were upset with the way things were working with, you know, with, um, you know, when people are upset with, you know, flying the banners and all that, it's, they still cared. You know what I mean? It's like they still, they still cared. You know, I, that's what they, they still went to the games. And they still cared. They flew banners. They flew banners because they cared. Well, uh, and uh,
2: I think uh, I think really truly, Kansas City is a football-centric city. However, that's also because the Chiefs have been competitive for so long. Whereas uh, the Royals, I yeah. mean, there have been long stretches of losing seasons. Things that the Chiefs have never, I mean, they've been bad, but not for that, not that bad for that long of a time.
1: Yeah, makes so, no mistake about it. They want a winner. I mean, this town does support who's winning. They will share the, the
2: – the city has shown they will share the spotlight if the team is – the organization is worth it.
1: And right now, it's the Chiefs are winning. Four straight AFC title games. They're the ones winning. And the Royals are struggling right now. So that does help. But, you know, I even when you're around town, Julio, you're talking to your friends, whatever, You they were talking about who the Chiefs drafted last weekend. I mean, that dominated – the Royals playing the Yankees. Yeah. They did. Yeah. No. Yeah. 100%. Yeah.
2: NFL dominates all, though.
1: Who'd the Chiefs? I know. I'm just saying. I think it's back to, to where it was. Yeah. I think it took a reprieve there for a little while, but I think it's back to where uh, it was. Thanks to Thor Nystrom from NBC Sports Edge for joining us tonight. Thank you, Julio Sanchez, uh, for the great conversations tonight. That's I enjoyed good. tonight's show a lot. Me too. You know what? We're doing the same thing tomorrow night. Let's do it. We're doing the same thing tomorrow night, same place, same time, 6 to 9. Right here, it'll be Julio Sanchez and I, and uh, no Royals tomorrow. Well, it seems like they either play a lot of afternoon games or don't play at all.
2: Danny said it about the time slots. Needs to change.
1: I mean, getting a lot of shows in, man. We do. I'm all right with it. Getting a lot of uh, shows. But anyway, have a good night. Hope you have a uh, good dinner tonight. I'm sure you're still hungry. I am.
2: Taco Thursday.
1: Is taco. We got Cinco de Mayo tomorrow. Don't forget, Cinco de Mayo, they should have tacos here. Regardless, good night, everybody. See you tomorrow night.
0: This is Think at Night on your home for Royals baseball and the official broadcast partner of the Kansas City Chiefs 610 Sports